3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to explain. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me. at Kramer. Hey, look, we can say it's about time. We can conclude, frankly, that we deserve to go down after this long run, right? Or we can simply admit that things got way too frothy. Too many stocks were going up on very little news or no news at all. And now those momentum buyers are deservedly getting their heads handed to them. And they're leaving. Look, I know that's a brutal conclusion, right? But it was a brutal day with Dow tumbling 524 points, SMB plunging 1.37%, NASDAQ plummeting 1.8%. Look, the best thing that can be said about today, it was much worse a half hour before the close of the session. Yes, the market did run into the bell. How deep will the sell-off be? I think we can have a few more percent, or, or maybe even more some stocks, especially tech, because some of these have been running nonstop since November. Let's understand, though, this sell-off has two components. There's the precipitating event, which happened to be an overheated consumer price index number that was announced at 830 this morning. And then there's the reaction to the event, where shareholders who thought they couldn't lose found out they could, and they cut, and they ran. Let's talk about the precipitating event first. This morning, we learned that CPI did have a blip up, mostly thanks to the cost of rent. It's funny, rent had actually started to cool, but we got a big reversal, and it went up enough to cause a serious disappointment in the aggregate number. Hey, look, that said, I never like to look at the aggregate numbers. They don't tell you enough. In this case, when you see rent soar, you have to ask yourself, has something changed? Why did the trajectory of rent shift? It could be because maybe the sudden influx of immigrants, legal and illegal, who need to be housed without a lot of sensitivity to pricing because the government's doing the renting. A big group of price sensitive renters can jack up the whole different category, and that is what I think happens here today. I know you can't asterisk it and say, if it weren't for rent, we would have been in good shape because the number's not what anyone wants to see, and shelter is a key component for everyone. I am of two minds, though. The first is, thank heavens, Jay Powell didn't start cutting rates uh, because this number would have made him look like an idiot. But second, it's time to recognize that the economy still has a full head of steam. And if Powell hadn't committed to a course of eventually cutting rates, there'd be plenty of people out there buzzing right now that he should be raising rates, not lowering them, raising rates. Now, how about the second source of today's pain? Those who found themselves on the wrong side of the trade. First, it's not one group. It's an agglomeration of institutions and individuals that have misjudged this moment. These people, for lack of a better term, were just plain wrong about both their conclusions and their investing style. That is, if they have an investing style. A large assemblage believed that we were set up for a May rate cut, something I've repeatedly told you is insane. Now, now, totally beyond the realm of possibility because the economy is way too strong. We got that red number and the bad CPI. A lot of these May believers were the same clowns who thought we were going to get a cut in March. They tend not to do their own homework. They listen to what some Fed governors might say. They look at the yield curve, and then they declare themselves experts and say, you know what, we're going to have aggressive rate cuts. Now, if they did a stitch of homework, they'd realize there's no real reason for the Fed to accelerate its rate cuts or actually do anything at all. We have very low unemployment, and we haven't vanquished inflation. The bozos who keep expecting big cuts may sound professional, but I think they are rank amateurs who don't know economics or history. Second wrong cohort? Those who believe that because it's an election year and election years are always supposed to be good, the market really can't go off the rails. That's fine when the year begins, but the average we're up four to six percent coming into today. And the election cycle is a defense. That's not going to protect you. It's not a lovey blanket full of, It's a lovey blanket full of holes. What are you supposed to do with this thesis tomorrow? A buy because it's an election year? It gives you no protection whatsoever, especially because the election seems, I would say, a tad on the aberrant side. Third group that's offsides, it's the shareholders who stayed at the party too long after drinking sterno from a trash can. Yesterday, I commented that when I saw the stock of Arm Holdings, the amazing semiconductor company double intraday from where it was just last week. And by the way, it's a large cap company. I knew this something. I really think it just gotten out of control. That's why I put it on a froth alert. That meant individuals perhaps searching for the next NVIDIA Use market orders to buy the stock, partying like it's 1999. For those of you who don't remember that era, all I can say is that there was a belief that you couldn't lose when you bought a stock. That meant it didn't matter what price you paid for the stock. So you just put in a market order and accepted the report. That was when things started to get out of control. Right now, very little ARM stock is available for sale. The underwriters only sold a little sliver of it on the deal. The vast majority is still owned by SoftBank and is under lockup. So when you use market orders, let's just say you're an idiot. You may have paid as much as $164 for ARM, which is nuts, given now the stock's pushed below $120. I think it's still too high. And I say that as someone who loves the company, loves the management, loves the business, and tried to get you in the stock several times in the 50s and 60s. Price does matter. Arm is an extreme example of froth in the market, but there are plenty of tech stocks that are rallied like crazy, even as their businesses are, let's say, abstruse. Meanwhile, many of the recent buyers are obtuse. They have no idea what the companies do. These people make for terrible fellow shareholders. So if you own high-flying stocks, understand that your fellow travelers are now your enemy. It doesn't help, by the way, that many of these stocks are not cheap and they're vulnerable to shock given their extended valuations. We're going to talk about some of them later in the show. So what should you do if you own stocks right now, given that so many longs were wrong about the market and we'll have to ski-daddle? We've been sellers for the Travel Trust, which you can follow along, of course, by joining the CNBC Investing Club, by which you do. I think it's good. And we were not tempted to buy anything today. We well, Look, we did a lot of looking, came close to pulling the trigger on two different occasions. But we decided, you know what, we might get lower prices tomorrow. We want to keep our powder dry. If you want to sell some stock here and then buy it back at lower levels, I think it's actually the right course in theory, but it's very hard to execute in practice. Tonight, I heard someone on air say that sell-offs are gifts. Now, I never like to use that terminology because these are the kinds of gifts that the Greeks gave to the Trojans. However, I say this. The market can't advance on froth without terrible consequences. We've got to drain the froth and refresh, and that's what today was, as those who don't know anything about the economy or their stocks get cashiered out of the market. They can't take the pain. When they're done selling, it'll be safe to buy. Bottom line. The market won't bottom all at once. Some stocks will bottom tomorrow. But I think this is a sell-off based on bad judgment, not bad earnings or a bad business environment. And it will be cured by the departure of those bulls who got caught off sides, who now can pull from the lineup and send back to the sidelines where they can earn their 5% while they break form and do some much-needed homework. I want to go to Brian in Pennsylvania. Brian! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, Jim, over the summer, I sold Verizon and I went into T-Mobile. Now, I've written some covered calls on T-Mobile that are now in the money and will probably get exercised on Friday. Um, So what do you think I should do with the money? Should I go back to T-Mobile or should I take a second look at Verizon since they're doing a little bit better now? How about taking a breather? How about letting see what both of them can go to that what happens if you get T-Mobile 155 instead of 160? How about if you get Verizon back when it yields 7 percent? That's what I would do. Sideline. Keep it on the sideline. Maybe we get better prices. And then and then you can pull the trigger and that would be the right thing to do. OK, let's go to Kyle in New Jersey. Kyle.
4: Hey, Jim. I uh, first I want to tell you, for every mean person on Twitter that has something bad to say, there's 10 guys like me that have nothing but love for you, man. you made such an impact in my life, and I love you for it. Um,
3: I, you I'm know, this- Kyle, thank you very much. I, I give them pictures of my dog, Wolfie. They, and they don't know what to do because they probably like dogs. How can I help?
4: <laughs> you know, I walk through my town uh, in Ocean City, New Jersey, and I see every attractive housewife walking around in athleisure, And I look down and I see on clouds on their feet. And I wonder if on
3: might be the next Lululemon. First, stop looking. okay? stop that. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I think On On is terrific. I tell you the truth. There's people betting against this company. They have not met management. They haven't spent time. It's 16% short position. And I've got to tell you, I think On is here to stay, just like you. Uh, And that's because I have an attractive non-housewife wife who has 17 pairs in my closet and has forced me to move to the hall. There. I like all Kyle's from Jersey. I will tell you that much. I think today's sell-off is based on bad judgment rather than a bad business environment. And that bad judgment can only be cured once the bulls who got caught off sides are sent back to the sidelines. They shouldn't be on the playing field. Made money tonight. Shopify reported an earnings beat, but the stock fell 13. percent What the heck? I'm thinking of the details with the company's top press. Then Arista Network, strong long-term performer, just like the tech stocks I just mentioned a second ago. It got hit. So are investors getting the opportunity to buy? I don't know. We have to do some work on it. And first came a McDonald's report, which was disappointing, and now it's Restaurant Brands International. I'm learning more about the state of the quick service restaurant space with QSR's executive chairman, fresh off the earnings. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
4: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com to start saving.
3: When the stock of a terrific company goes down off a big number like an overheated consumer price index report, is it a good chance to buy? Take Shopify, the global commerce enabler, which was down more than 13% today, simply because of the quarter, but I'd argue it was down in spite of the quarter, because those results were terrific. Shopify delivered better than expected gross merchandise volume, revenues, earnings, and some spectacular cash flows. They also gave great sales guidance for the current quarter, which suggests that the momentum is still going very strong here. The only thing to quibble about maybe some of the margin lines. I mean, look, they're trying to spend to help their customers do better so Shopify can do better. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think that justifies the stock's 13% decline. I mean, the darn thing gave up all of its year-to-date gains on today's slide. My view, this is one of the biggest winners of 2023. Got overheated this year, got a bad CPI number, bulls jump ship, time to get back. I see it as a buying opportunity. Let's take a closer look with Harvey Finkelstein. He's the president of Shopify to learn more. Mr. Finkelstein, welcome back to Man Money.
4: Hey, Jim. Always a great honor to be on your show.
3: Oh, thank you, Harley. In the years we've known each other, I feel that your terrific company has gone from being a fantastic back office fulfillment to what I guess now I have to call a unified commerce platform replete with some big offline sales. How did you go about making this journey? And is that a better name than saying it's just a fulfillment
4: house? Well, look, uh, 2023 was an exceptional year for both Shopify and for the millions of merchants that we power. I think Shopify is fundamentally transforming the way that businesses and consumers do commerce. And we're operating with great, strong operational discipline and velocity. You mentioned this, but it's worth repeating. For the full year of 2023, we powered $236 billion of GMV. And for Q4, we powered uh, $75 billion of GMV. Now, that outpaces the broader U.S. retail market, so merchants and brands on Shopify are doing better. And, Jim, one thing I'm really proud of is we now power over 10% of all U.S. e-commerce. When you look at our merchant base, to your point, you see more and more businesses at every stage of growth coming to Shopify, including iconic brands like On Running and Billabong and Everlane and Nike Strength and Oscar De La Renta and so many more. And for the quarter, we had revenue surpassed $2 billion, and we had $1 billion in gross profit. For the And for the entire year, uh, our revenue was $7 billion for 2023. But finally, and I think really importantly, we generated cash flow of $446 million for the quarter right. and free cash flow of $905 million free cash flow for the year, with every quarter free cash flow margin and dollars improving. So we're really proud of these results coming out of the year.
3: Oh, you should be now, Harley. When we talk, look, we have many different times that we can talk. And you know, I love the empowerment, sir. I love what you've done to, to entrepreneurs that would otherwise have no hope, and how you help them with money. But I got to tell you, I'm looking right now. I googled uh, not before, just right before we talked. Oscar de la Renta uh, clothes. I figure, I don't know, maybe eight hundred bucks, hundred bucks. No, five thousand four hundred dollars, seven thousand nine hundred ninety. Here's a, Oh, here's one for eight thousand
4: nine hundred twenty. You're. People buy this stuff uh, 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 through Shopify? We are powering millions of stores across the platform. And to your point, to your point, one of the things that I think that has changed is there's all these new ramps into Shopify now, which means more businesses across more industries, whether it's luxury or it's you know companies that have everyday T-shirts uh, and verticals are buying from Shopify. But you mentioned a few things that I want to I want to double click on. We, with our focus now on things like offline retail, B two B and enterprise expansion, what we're seeing is so many more businesses are using what we're selling. So if you just think about physical retail, for example, like point of sale. Offline for the year, we saw $441 million of revenue to Shopify for the year. 5x what okay. offline was for us just five years ago. In fact, GMV from offline retail was up 28% for the quarter year on year. And we're seeing brands like Banana Republic Home come to us to power all their point, all their point of sale. We're also seeing incredible oh, Harley, growth. Let, let, like- I,
3: Harley, we had Dave Gitlin on the other day. Uh, you know Dave, right? He's the CEO oh. of Carrier. Now, they make uh, HVAC. Wait, wait, what's
4: HVAC doing on Shopify? I was, I was about to say that. So one of, the thing, one of the new areas, one of the new on-ramps into Shopify is B2B. More so wholesale-only merchants like Carrier, a heating and cooling company, are coming to Shopify. It's quite unbelievable. B2B GMV was up nearly 150% year-on-year year in Q4, and total GMV for B2B doubled in 2023, and we expect it to continue. So not only are brands like Mamafuku or Brooklinen, who also have online stores with Shopify, expanding to also do B2B or wholesale, we're seeing pure B2B B2B plays like Carrier come to Shopify too. And that, by the way, that that B2B market, that's a $14 billion TAM that allows us to expand to more merchants in more verticals.
3: How does a Japanese liquor company come to be able to do business with Shopify?
4: Same thing, we think international is a massive area of growth for us, and so we're expanding both our capabilities and our localization efforts to get companies like obviously Suntory in Japan, but Westwing and Bowdoin in Europe, and on running of course, as I mentioned, we're really trying to create a global commerce platform. So not only can any brand of all sizes use Shopify, but once they start selling with us, we want it to make it default global, meaning we want their customer base to be global. And with our products like Markets and Markets Pro, we make selling on Shopify selling internationally on Shopify as easy as it is to sell locally. And that really matters in this sort of new global paradigm.
3: But you have not forgotten your roots. I noticed in the conference call once again, you talked about advancing money to promising young businesses that otherwise would not be able to grow, hire, give health care to
0: people,
4: generate income for their families. You're not backing away from that. Not at all. In fact, we've now given up more than $5 billion of capital to small business to help them grow. Because we have such a great view of what our merchants are doing and how they're operating on Shopify, our, our ability and our, our access to making these great instant underwriting decisions means we can fund small businesses in a way that most other companies cannot. In fact, you, know, you mentioned sort of some of these macro trends and CPI coming out earlier today. One thing that I really think is important to understand is I think 2024 is the year for entrepreneurship. 25% of US consumers are now considering starting a new business in 2024. And if you look at business registrations recorded since 2021, in the US alone, it's 15.5 million. That's an 85% increase from 2004 to 2021. So it feels like it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. And we're seeing so many of those businesses being started on Shopify. And the best part is as they grow and get larger, we can help them.
3: I just got ten ideas for the next shows. I'm in great shape for the rest of the week and beyond. Harley Finkelstein, President of Shopify. Hey, good to see you. You're still—I think—you still have some enthusiasm for the job.
4: I definitely do. I love what I'm doing, and I'm so proud of what we've done.
3: <laughs> and I love when Thanks. you come on the show. Thank
1: you so much. Shopify pie, and we'll talk soon. Everybody's back there for a break. Coming up, Kramer does a little networking. Everything you need to know about a tech stock with a strong track record.
0: Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match
3: Tech just happened to Arista Networks, the networking equipment powerhouse, where the stock has been a huge long-term winner. If you go back all the way to its IPO in June of 2014, do you know the stock's now up 2,370%? That's trouncing all the major averages. It was the fourth best performer in the S&P 500 as that index worked its way from 4,000 to 5,000 just now. It's been a juggernaut. Yet last night, Arista reported, and today the stock just got clobbered in response more than five percent even though I thought the numbers were actually pretty good. I mean prototypical at first a quarter. Before we get into the details of the report though, you need to understand where this company's coming from. Because the track record here is incredible. From the very beginning, Arista's been focused on high-performance networking equipment, initially geared toward the cloud, which allowed them to become the preferred partner for data centers and the major cloud players. At the same time, because Arista network's small and nimble, uh, certainly nimble than their key competitor, Cisco, they've been able to roll out new products more frequently while staying competitive on price. These guys have been competitive in the data space for years, continually gaining share from all comers, because they offer a superior suite of product at value prices. And that's why Microsoft and Meta platforms go to Arista for their network Needs. These two magnificent mega caps accounted for 39% of the company's sales last year. They were actually called out on last night's earnings call as M&Ms, which, by the way, happens to be my favorite candy. Arista also does a lot of business with Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and major Chinese players like Alibaba Cloud, Tencent Cloud. Over the past decade, these huge tech companies have spent fortunes building out their data centers and growing their cloud networks, with a big chunk of that spending, yes, going to Arista Networks. Now, these same massive companies have started a whole new investment wave that's for the artificial intelligence era. These cloud companies and Meta are already core customers of Arista. And as they build out capacity for AI, they once again need high performance networking equipment, which is Arista's bread and butter. But last up, we got a rude awakening. After the close, the risk reported another impressive quarter, yet its stock got dinged for 5.5%. Why? What went wrong? It wasn't the results. The risk delivered better than expected sales, up 20.8% year over year, monster 38 cent earnings beat off a 70 basis, which translates into 47.5% earnings worth. Spectacular margin expansion, too. What about the guidance? Even though Arista's forecast for the current quarter was mostly in line, the revenue outlook implied a significant deceleration in growth down to 13 to 15 percent range. Remember, last quarter was closer to 21 percent. Their gross margin guidance was also on the lighter side, too. On top of that, Arista reiterated some four-year targets, reiterated, that's the keyword, that they had already rolled out last November, which might seem underwhelming given how much the stock has run since then. You might think this was a good quote with lackluster guidance, so it's only natural for this talk to get hit. But if you read through the call Transcript, CEO Sri Yalal told an incredibly compelling story, especially when it comes to the scale of the AI opportunity. As Yalal explained, I'm going to quote here, Basically, AI at scale needs Ethernet at scale. AI workloads cannot tolerate the delays in the network because the job can only be completed after all flows are successfully delivered to the GPU clusters. All it takes is one culprit or worst case link to throttle an entire AI workload, end quote. Now, I would say you don't just need NVIDIA chips to make AI work. You also need the highest quality networking equipment, which means you need Arista. And that's the tale that she's weaving there, that without Arista, it doesn't matter you can't get it to move as fast as you'd like. Now, there's been some concern that Arista might face serious competition from a company called InfiniBand, which is actually a rival brand that NVIDIA bought when it acquired Mellanox back back in 2020. That was an Israeli company. This was really why I think they needed this. People figured NVIDIA could bundle the networking equipment with their graphics cards in order to take share. But, you know, as we found out on the call, in the last five times that Arista went up against InfiniBand, for a big new AI contract, Arista won the contract on four of those occasions, four out of five ain't bad. In the end, though, many investors were hoping to hear more optimism about 2024. In November, Arista talked about doing $750 million in AI sales this year. A number of management reiterated last night. Remember, there's the word again, reiterated. I think lots of shareholders expected them to raise, not reiterate. When management didn't do that, they sold the stock. Overall, I think this thing simply had a huge run in 2023, up 94%. It was the 15th best-performing s 500 last year, not shabby, and it kept running in January and February. That run was based mostly on hopes for the AI opportunity, which in practical terms means multiple expansion for a risk to stock. We'll pay more for the same earnings. That AI opportunity is very real. It's still on track, but management says it will really not start to flow through to sales until maybe, say, 2025. As Yale told us in the conference call, last year was the year of trials. This year will be the year of pilot programs, and next year will be the year when big AI business starts to come through. I think she's being conservative. I'm sure some of the bulls were hoping hoping the timeline would be accelerated, even as the risk has been fairly consistent with its messaging here. So those were the people who sold the stock today. And candidly, I can't tell you that it's necessarily just a one-day shakeout. A bit of an air pocket right now uh, before the big AI business begins to hit. Jay Shree explained that. In the meantime, 2024 could be a slower growth and slower margin at safe first half of the year, some investors may choose to sit things out, especially if today marked the start of a broader tech sell-off. Something that I actually would argue is kind of healthy for the market, given how things are so hot. But again, if you bought the stock on margin or used call options, well, let me just say... Term, Marissa Networks remains incredibly well positioned. So, if you don't have a position this one and you're thinking about buying it, I recommend letting the stock come in for a little bit. At some point this year, you're going to want to be in the stock though, but you got to be patient. If you already own it, you know what? Just hold on to it. Show some patience. Take some pain. I don't know when investors will start shifting their attention to the year 2025. Tuesday usually around June, uh, but that's when the big AI business kicks, kicks in. And you got to own it, the stock before people start talking about 2025. Just as important, I wouldn't be as surprised if Arista ends up out outperforming its 2024 targets, which could also propel the stock higher. Remember, this company originally got it for 25% growth in 2023 and ended up doing 34%. Wow! Arista's beaten sales and earnings expectations for at least 20 consecutive quarters. As far as numbers go back, that's incredible. So, UPOD under promise and over-deliver is in the company's DNA. Let me give you the bottom line on this amazing company. Arista Networks took it on the chin today after expectations got out of whack and got reset last night. But while the selling might continue for a couple days, maybe even a week or two, I recommend buying this one into weakness because the next year of this company's growth, the AI era, is only just getting started and Arista is integral to the revolution. Let's take calls. Why don't we start with Chris in Connecticut.
4: Chris! Booyah, Jimmy Chill.
3: Yo, first what's time
4: shaking? First-time caller, thank you so much for all the wisdom you've imparted over the years to my dad, John, and myself. My question is about Marvell Technology, ticker MRVL. Is it a buy at this level?
3: OK, if Marvell reported today, instead of being down two, even though it will probably report a good quarter, it would probably be down five or six because it is a very expensive stock. It does have a perfect optical solution for AI. It's probably going to be the number one optical solution company in the stack of AI. But you've got to let this one come in, because right now people are looking at these high-flying tech stocks and saying, I want to ring the register. I want to make some money. I don't want to lose it. And Marvell would be caught up in that situation. Let's go to Walt in Pennsylvania where I am right now, Walt. Hey, Ski Daddy, thank you for calling. My pleasure. I, What's calling, up? I'm uh,
2: calling, Jim, I've been a shareholder without trading in
5: Microsoft for 30 years. In the first 10 years, there were four splits and we have not had a split since
2: and with the skyrocketing price I think it would be to their advantage. Apple had done it. Amazon has done it.
3: And I'm wondering what you think about that. Well, look, I think the most important thing is congratulations. You have made a lot of money by owning a stock. A lot of people come on air and talk to talk people out of stocks. Other people think it's too dangerous to own one stock. You own a great one. I don't think we should care about the split, although I will talk to Amy Hood, the CFO, and tell her your concerns. I do think that people worry about maybe Copilot not being as exciting as some thought it would be. I think that's nonsense. Hold on to Microsoft and people. Uh, that's a huge position for my travel trust. All right. Arista Networks got hit today after sky-high expectations for its earnings report were uh, not exceeded. How about that? But I think you can buy the name. It was, As it comes in, don't get aggressive. It's too soon. Much more man money hit, including my exclusive with Restaurant Brands International. That's Burger King and Tim Hortons. What drove the strong quarter for the, uh, the company and why did the stock go down? I'm getting the latest from the company's top brass. And stocks sold off today, which almost had us forget about that monster move that I just mentioned, the 4000 to 5000 on the S&P. What stocks led that? I'm going to reveal the top 10. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Some tough timing for restaurant brands, the parent of Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, Firehouse Subs. I mean, here's a great company that had the misfortune of reporting this morning right before we got that hotter than expected CPI reading to crush the whole market. Only restaurant brands saw its stock tumble more than four percent today. But man, these guys reported a top and bottom line beat that I liked. Even the same store sales for some some lines came in a little bit light, and yes, they did slightly lower their full year forecast. But that was because of concerns about China, like everybody else who had something going there. Another day, I think the stock actually might have been ding, or it actually could have been up. My view: Look, I've long been a believer in Executive Chairman Patty Doyle, who spearheaded the turnaround at Domino's nearly a decade and a half ago. And I believe you can breathe new life into this company, not that it really needs it. Let's take it. Uh, let's take it from the top. Let's go to Patrick Doyle, he's the Executive Chairman of Restaurant Brands. Get a better sense of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Doyle, welcome back to Make Money.
5: Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it.
3: All right. So, Patrick, I've got to tell you, when I look at what was reported today and before, of course, the CPI problems, I felt that other than China, which everyone is being afflicted by, I think these numbers were darn good on every single line.
5: Yeah, they they really were. I mean, foundationally, I feel great about the quarter and the year. Tim Hortons continues to do incredibly well north of 8 percent same store sales growth half of that order count growth so they're doing really well the plan that axel and the team have been driving there for a number of years continues to produce results burger king had a great quarter up over six percent positive order counts Um, popeyes was up over six firehouse i mean overall it was good we had a little bit of slowing in international like basically everybody else has reported as well but you know, still up four or five percent on our comps in international overall it was a really good, a really good quarter for us and a great year.
3: OK, so let's just touch on international for a second. There were uh, some issues involving reverberations of what I can go up from the Middle East crisis. Those did knock things down a bit, correct?
5: Yeah, they did. It probably cost us a point and a half on same store sales growth and actually about three points on order count growth. So clearly would have been better. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's you know, the worst things going on in the Middle East than what's affecting restaurant sales for us. But, Indeed. you know, overall, well, it's certainly well, but, knocked us
3: down. You, know, you know, Patrick, I remember when you, we came in Domino's, there were obviously issues and you can find them directly. When I read about the reclaim the flame, uh, can I ask, ask you what ask you? Well, what was the matter with the flame that it needed to be reclaimed?
5: <laughs> so, you know, we, we, uh, we had operational issues. Um, we've got restaurants that need to be re-imaged and remodeled. So there are things that need to be fixed there. And frankly, we just hadn't done a great job um, of driving results in that brand. So over the course of the last couple of years, Tom Curtis, who's the president of that business, laid out a plan to get the right operators running the restaurants to get better advertising going and to get them to to re-image and remodel their restaurants, and so that's happening. It's driving results. I think we were the fastest growing hamburger chain in the uh, in the fourth quarter. So it's it's generating results, and we're starting to get the return from the investment that they've made.
3: So that is that forty six percent growth, Burger King U.S., which I thought was just outstanding.
5: Yep, things are things are good, things are good. We're we're okay. moving.
3: I'm watching the Super Bowl. I saw an ad for Familiar Brand, but it was not the fried chicken that it was really featuring. It was more the wings.
5: Yeah, Popeye's launched a line of wings now. That's a permanent addition to the business. Those wings are extraordinary. Uh, Going on the Super Bowl is all about driving awareness. And, you know, the U.S. customer did not know yet that we were selling wings in the U.S. That was a perfect place for us to go out Drive awareness, it's the best reach vehicle in television once a year, and we are very excited. If people try these wings, um, they're going to keep coming back because they are amazing.
3: You know, when you first came on, we talked about how you, that Horton's was a national treasure. Obviously, now it's more than just Canada; it always has, but you know, it's been coming down here. But the numbers are really staggering. Uh, it, it, can that be maintained at eight point four percent comp? That's 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 for a, a chain that is usually much smaller than than Tim Horton's.
5: Yeah, we've we've been we've been doing it for uh, for a while, a couple of years up there now. I mean, I. The, the results just keep coming. The team there has done just an amazing job of of getting really everything right. Operations, speed of service improved last year, even as you know we were growing a high single digit, almost double digit comp for the year. Um, it, it, you know, the food quality continues to improve. And you know, while we are kind of the dominant player in breakfast, half of our business today at Tims in Canada, is basically lunch and later, and that continues to grow very fast. So I think there's a real opportunity to continue to grow it, not only in the morning, but particularly in later day parts.
3: All right, Patrick, I happen to have a great, I'm down here at Comcast, and I a question at lunch about the uh, staying power of the GLP-1 drugs, questioning whether yep. people will be taking them a year, two, three years from now. I know you're probably monitoring the situation, and you've got your ear to the ground. What do you think of this drug class and what it could do to the quick-serve business?
5: Yeah, You know, look, I, it, it certainly is a minor headwind and probably will continue to be. But I I honestly don't see it being a big deal. I mean, if you wind up with 10 or 20 percent of the population reducing 10 percent, 20 percent of their of their calorie intake, that ultimately over time is just not a big reduction. Um, And as long as we're giving great service, great food, great value, we're going to continue to grow. So, you know, overall, look, I, I think it's important. I think they are, are terrific for the people who need them. But in terms of a real headwind, I just don't see it on our business.
3: Excellent. Well, again, sorry that you reported today because I know that the stock probably would have been unchanged. Or I say I really do believe up a little. Patrick Doyle is the executive chairman of Restaurant Brands International. Patrick, great to have you back on the show.
5: Thanks, Jim. Good to see you.
1: Dan yeah, Mike's back in for the break. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time.
3: time for the lightning round Chris Brad's one of those Bye, Bye, And then the lightning round is over. Are you? time for the Light Round. crazy us over LeVon in Kentucky. LeVon.
0: Uh, Kramer, my stock is
3: the Iron Mountain IRM. What's your opinion on it? You know what? That stock is uh, its a stock I've liked for a long time. Now, the yield's only 4%. Why? Because the stock's going up so much. I reiterate that I like the stock. Let's go to Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about uh, you?
1: Hey, Jim. You got I'm me? going to ask you... Uh, the earnings estimate were $9 billion. Uh, This company just reported $11.5 billion. Solid state batteries, 750-mile range, and a 10-minute charge EV by 2025. And still about half the market cap of Tesla. My stock is Toyota. Okay, this is a very tough
3: one to be able to come in and buy a stock up $5. But I will tell you that I think Toyota is going higher. Buy some and then wait for it to come down. Lynette in New Mexico. Lynette.
0: Hi, Jim. Yes, in the past, you've liked uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. I've watched it go up for um, about the last few trading days, about $4 each session. Uh, Is it that good, or is it another example of the untamed exuberance that you've been speaking of?
3: It's another example of the untamed exuberance that I've been speaking of. I think the stock has run probably 15 points too many. You're going to have to wait for it to come down. I hate a parabolic move, and that's exactly what you're getting there. I don't like it straight up. So wait, Michael in California, Michael
1: yeah, Jim. Uh yeah, Michael, what's I up? Love watching you on TV and uh, you're Thank awesome you. in I Man. I was wondering what your thoughts are on Rockwell. Are okay? So we-
3: Rockwell is in the penalty box. That was a miserable quarter. I can't recommend a stock that just had a good a bad quarter. I gotta wait for a good quarter before I decide that it's back it's okay to let out because that was like a major, major penalty. Let's go to Randy in Massachusetts. Randy.
2: Hey Jim, how you doing?
3: I'm doing well, Randy. What are you up to?
1: Ah, not much. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so my question is, uh, with the company Joby installing their first electric air taxi
3: charger in a big city like New York City, along with them actually launching their first air taxi service, how big of a jump could you really see Joby making come 2024? They got to come closer to profitability, Randy. They really do. They're so far from profitability. I cannot recommend them. It would just It's just too painful. How about we go a bill Ooh. in Arkansas? Bill. Booyah,
1: bill. Mr. Kramer. Long, booyah, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Up? Long-time viewer, first-time caller. I'd like to give a holler out to my family and friends in Arkansas. Jim, what's your thoughts on
3: Palantir Technologies, P-L-T-R? Okay, Bye. I think that Palantir quarter was good. I know the stock is straight up. I would like it to come in a little, but it might not. It's down a dollar today. That's your chance to buy a little Palantir. Let's go to Mac. In Virginia, Max. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well, Mac. How about you?
2: Good. Hey, I'm
0: a club member. I love to catch your morning show and the home stretch whenever I can.
3: Hey, I got a thank small you position.
2: I got a small position in an energy infrastructure company. They provide uh, natural gas and renewable energy in Southern California and Texas. Company is Simpra. Last.
3: Less- Oh, I like SEMPRA very, very much. And, you know, it's come down here to the point where you can get a good yield and some growth. I would actually pull the trigger and buy that stock right here. SEMPRA is for me, S-R-E. Ryan in Ohio. Ryan. Hey, Jim Bowes. Ryan in Ohio with my daughter, Kat. Booyah, Jim. Hey, guys. You want to know uh, what your thoughts are on buying Dutch Bros right here? All right, Dutch Bros is down 16%. It was down last year. They've kind of gotten a little bit of religion. not open stores as much as as much fast as they used to. I will tell you this, though. Uh, I need to see a good quarter. I don't have a good quarter. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab coming up we're not done yet don't miss kramer's take on tech plays that may already be in your portfolio next
3: After today's beatdown, I want to remind you why we like this market so much before the hotter than expected CPI reading. So, I got a positive idea on it down today. Let's talk about the stocks that led the S&P 500 from 4,000 a few years ago to 5,000 last week, even as we've slightly pulled back from that milestone level today. First, Nvidia. Look, there's no secret of what Nvidia's done, right? Its revenue growth is <laughs> compounding fifty-three percent for the past four years. Most people didn't see NVIDIA for what it was, a gaming chip company that embraced accelerated computing, allowing it to develop the fastest chips in the business, which in turn allowed them to dominate the artificial intelligence space. Right now NVIDIA is kind of a I would say a battleground style. Because so many people feel it's run so far so fast. We own it for the Chapel Trust. My motto is a simple one. Own it, don't trade it. NVIDIA has a history of looking expensive in the moment, only to seem cheap in retrospect once we find out that the earnings are growing faster than expected. We'll see soon enough, as they report on the twenty-first. Second, Eli Lilly has developed the most powerful GLP-1 weight loss and diabetes drug on the market, much more efficacious than Novo Nordisk. The amount of illnesses that these drugs might treat, everything from hypertension, cirrhosis of the liver, sleep apnea, makes me think Lilly's could have the best-selling drug of all time. Wall Street's still way behind on this one; the estimate is too low. Third. Builders for source, where the professional contractors go, whether you need cabinets, decking, doors, plywood, tools, you name it. They only have 570 distribution centers. So while so while you could fret about mortgage rates, I say, how the heck did this thing get to be such a stud during the S P S run to 5,000 Answer: Lowest prices, best service. Fourth, Arista Networks reported last night, as I told you earlier in the show, this is great AI play where you should be prepared to buy the stock on weakness. Fifth, When I first got in this business 42 years ago, I was always looking for a company that had an annuity stream, some book of business that constantly renewed itself. And you know what? I've never seen an annuity stream like cybersecurity because the hackers never go away and companies need to spend big to protect themselves. That's why Nikesh Arora, the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, is such a titan. He built a best-in-show cloud-on-premises cybersecurity business with no real pure, save maybe CrowdStrike, which is much smaller and is cloud-native. This stock is run, but the scale of the opportunity has only gotten larger. Sixth best performer during this period, Marathon Petroleum. Hey, it's the best of two things: operating the largest refining system in America and buying back its own stock. Marathon had 649 million shares in 2020. And now that's shrunk it to 380 million. Although given the pace of the buyback, the real number is probably quite a bit lower by now. Seventh. Right behind Marathon is an app Target Resources, which is a huge processor of natural gas and natural gas liquids with a network of pipes that can take the stuff from the Permian Basin to the coast, where it can be shipped overseas. I honestly can't see why the market loves Target so much, though, but we'll find out. They report Thursday. Number eight is Broadcom, serial acquirer of all sorts of hardware and software companies that play a hand in networking, not to mention being a close partner of, yes, NVIDIA's. I think that its recent acquisition of VMware will make it more of a high, higher, if not highest-end networking company. Minimize the downside from the cyclicality of the portfolio. Ninth is Fair Isaac. That's the company behind FICO. Yes, the FICO scoring system. They created FICO out of whole cloth 40-odd years ago, and now it's taken over the country. Plus, Fair Isaac has a popular software business on top of that. It may be the best in fintech out there. They were on the show recently. Loved it. Finally, there's j which is a manufacturer's manufacturer. Literally. Other companies design stuff, then they give it to Jabil to actually put these things together. I know sometimes it can be hostage to its customers, but they've now diversified enough that the business cycle can no longer knock them out. When I look at all ten of these top performers during this quick jump from SP 4,000 to 5,000, I'm pretty confident the whole group can keep running, with the possible exception of Targa and Marathon. Pete, eight out of ten. That's pretty darn good. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere and I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now.